Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello, and welcome to the New Books Network. I am your host, Jennifer Yerimeyeva. I'm going to go out on a limb and suggest that if I asked you what your favorite Romanian dish is, you might struggle to answer. Well, to address this egregious problem, I'm delighted to welcome Irina Georgescu to the podcast today to talk about her new book, Carpathia, Food from the Heart of Romania, which is out this week from Interlinked Books. We are recording this during the initial week of global social isolation due to the coronavirus, and I personally can't think of a better way to pass the time at home than by cooking your way through this marvelous book, filled with lovely photographs, delectable spreads, wonderful salads, rich soups, main courses, and sweet desserts. I'm so pleased that I have the opportunity to learn more about the cuisine of Romania, which brings together so many different influences from Ottoman to Russian. And I'm really looking forward to talking with Irina about the book and her work as a chef and food writer. Irina, welcome to the New Books Network. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Well, tell us, um, to to begin with, tell us a little bit about your own story and how you came to be a food writer. Yes, well, well, I think that I've always loved food, you know, when even when I was little and how I had no idea how to cook or even to read, I loved organizing my mom's handwritten recipes. You know, she used to keep them in an old chocolate box. So I used to go through them and put them in whatever order I thought it was right. So, and later on, um, you know, I would help my mom to shop at the market, to prep in the kitchen, to cook with her. You know, it was just a way to to be together and to actually... I, I loved being around her, so I wanted to be there with her in the kitchen. So uh, we always talked about food, you know, um, even when we didn't have much around, especially during, you know, communist regime and especially towards the end of the communist regime was quite, quite difficult. Uh, but then when I, when I moved to the UK um, 11 years ago, so not, not a very long time ago, um, you know, I, I actually left behind a career in marketing. And um, in the UK, I had the opportunity to um, uh, nurture my passion for writing about food and um, for cooking. And um, basically, I found that um, cooking my mom's food and Romanian food was a way to stay connected with my family and with my homeland. And it was quite nostalgic in a way. Um so um, all of a sudden, I realized that I was talking about Romanian food quite quite a lot. So I built a website and I started to connect with people um, on social media and, you know, bit by bit. Um, um, you know, I, I didn't think that people would be interested in, in what I had to say about Romanian food. Um, but um, luckily they were. And the idea of the book... Um, came as a as a result of this interest and and then I looked around and on you know social media and on on internet and I, I realized that um, I, I didn't see I couldn't find too many people outside of Romania uh, talking about and or writing about Romanian cuisine so when I started um, 
And even today, uh, the, the cookbooks market was steadily shaping a, a culinary map of the world. Um, and, and Romania wasn't on it, you know, Romania <laughs> wasn't there. And I mean, well, that's I mean, yes, well, I mean, it was, it, but it wasn't there at the standard of what we expect today from a cookery book. Um, so I thought that was, that was a pity. That was a shame. And because, you know, we, we have a beautiful country, uh, it's full of resources and full of traditions. And you've seen in the book, you know, everything is connected to food and comes back to food all the time. And, there is a strong story here that that needs needs to be told, and I was very lucky to find you know a, a literary agent interested in my my proposal, and obviously together we found a, a publisher interested in Romanian food, and um, yeah, it, it was it was very lucky to be able to find this theme and to bring this theme together to to work on it and and publish it today, but you know. <laughs> The timing is Fantastic. probably not necessarily right, like, like you said, but hopefully people will have more time to read because <clears throat> because the book is also about Romanian traditions and about a, a, a bit about my family as well. And uh, it's also about um, a bit of history of Romania and how we eat the way we eat now. And so it's more than just cookery. So even if someone... Uh, doesn't go out there to buy the ingredients to cook. You know, there is still a lot to to read and to learn about Romania. There certainly is. It, this is, a, a first of all, a very beautiful book. Um, I think everybody who's seen the cover uh, is really struck by its just really physical, physicality. Um, but uh, for our listeners who may not be as familiar with, with Romania, let's dive into the title. Um, you've called your book Carpathia, and I wonder if you can take us into the Carpathians uh, and set the stage for us and explain why you chose this title. Uh, yes, Um it was very easy to, to to choose this in a way, you know. I just didn't want to go necessarily with um, Romania. I could have, you know, uh-huh. said this is the title Romania, but actually, what um, defines Romania very much is in, are the Carpathian Mountains. Uh, they are imposing, you know, ele- they are an imposing element in uh, in our um, in our country in, um, landscape as well, and they create the main regions of the country. Um, and also they create their own microclimates and I would say microhistory as well, because you will see also in the book that in the south of the mountains, in the east of the mountains, so what it is in the south of Valachian Plain and what's in the east of Moldova, um, we were under the Ottoman Empire for centuries. So our food is very much um, influenced by, by Greek and Turkish uh, cuisine. And the way we eat and the way, you know, we use the, the, the same kind of similar words and the way we prepare the food, you know, we like this little little small plates at the beginning of a meal, you know, very much like meze style, meze Greek style of eating and mixing uh, dips and salads and, you know, bread and, and charcuterie, you know, this is a very, very Greek, very Turkish way of starting a meal. Um but then you cross the mountains in what it is now Transylvania. It's the middle of the country. It's surrounded by the Carpathian Mountains, um, and we are we we were under the um, Habsburg Empire, the Austrian Empire, Hungarian Empire there for centuries. So our food there is very you know German, you know Saxon, Austrian. Um, we love you know 
potatoes. We love paprika, exactly like the uh, in Hungarian cuisine. Uh, we love dumplings. We love noodles. Noodles, especially in uh, sweet dishes. I mean, uh, that's that's really very uh, comfort food. You know, when mm-hmm. when um, you know the weather is bad, then you really need like really nice nice food for the soul. Um, <laughs> so yeah. So you see that that is still related to to the Carpathian Mountains, and then we have you know in the in the west as well uh, in the Banat region, that is a, a real uh, to use a cliche a real real melting pot of everything that uh, happened in Romania, history wise as well and migration wise. So um, so the Carpathian um, the Carpathian Mountains um, have an impact on our cuisine, and you know it's if you think of um, Let's say how um, how shepherds make cheese during the summer months in in those remote huts on top of the of the mountains, and how that air and uh, the environment influence the flavor and the quality of the milk. You know that is uh, again related to the what people call today terroir. You know what, uh-huh. what Carpathian um, mountains um, give to in terms of flavor to to the ingredients. But then you go. Um, you come back from the from the mountains in a, in very like hilly regions, and you have a lot of like fruit trees and and walnut trees and chestnut trees, and they love the the the, the rolling slopes of of the um, Carpathian hills. So we cook a lot of of fruit, even in savory dishes as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that is another influence of of the Carpathian. And just to mention, because the the book is more about food and not necessarily about wine. But all these microclimates made by the Carpathian Mountains um, create some beautiful Romanian wines, and especially in Transylvania, it's it's um, it's just a variety. The variety is uh, incredible. Um, so, um, but also because you will see that there is a, a little chapter in in the book about fish, and um, mm-hmm. I would have probably um, I should have put more in there, but. In Romania, we eat a lot of freshwater fish, and it's because we have so many rivers, and the um, almighty rivers is river is the Danube, um, and mm-hmm. the da- and the Danube Delta. So uh, the Danube actually creates a natural border um, in the south of the country between Romania and Bulgaria. So it comes from the if you look at the map of Romania, it comes from the west from Serbia, and crosses the country in the south from uh, west to east. So it's just a um, a very long um, <laughs> area, a very long river in in the country. So it also creates a vast plains, and sometimes there are marshlands. And if you think in back in history, those marshlands was were turned into rice fields um, by Italian farmers in the 17th century because they were so fertile. So. Um, and then the river creates the delta, and that is uh, the Danube Delta is a UNESCO site, um, and uh, we're very proud of this. And the diversity of everything is is incredible, you know. And um, mm-hmm. and then the, the river enters uh, the Black Sea. So our cuisine is uh, the, in the south of the Carpathian Mountains, and you know between the mountains and the delta, you know, it's all about freshwater fish. So it's carp, it's bream, pike, trout. I mean, we have. A wonderful um, a way to prepare trout that we catch in the rivers. Uh, we put them um, in between um, uh, pine branches and we cold Ooh. smoke them. So we, 
um, and the, the the pine just imparts such a beautiful flavor to the fish, and it's just an amazing way to pre- to prepare it. And then you just eat it as any smoked fish, you know. So Lovely. it's it's very 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 good. Um, and also, you see in the Danube uh, Delta, people uh, eat only fish, uh, and you know it's you can look at. Um, one of our national dishes, the uh, meatball soup uh, that we have in, 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 the, in the country. So in the north or in the mountains, you make that soup with pork or pork and beef. Uh, you make the meatballs, you, you make the broth and you add a lot of lavage as well. Well, in the Danube, you make the same thing, but with fish. So there are fish balls in the soup. You know? so Fantastic. It's, it, this is how the Carpathian Mountains... Um, uh, play such an important role, you know, uh, not only in history but in in our in our cuisine as well. So this is why the title is Carpathia. Uh huh. And you, the, I mean, you've just did a, a wonderful description of of the geography, but this is also the crossroads of many many different kinds of civilizations, and you touched on that with the different uh, empires that Romania was part of. But I love the point you made in the book. Um, where you said that in the summer, Romanians eat in a very sort of Greek and Turkish way, whereas in the winter, uh, you turn to the more Slavic and Germanic uh, traditions. And I wonder if you could go through some of the dishes that that characterize that trend. Yes, yes. it's. Uh, I think it. Uh, this is the case with probably most countries which have a continental climate. Uh, in Romania, the winters are very cold, uh, especially in the countryside, well, and especially in the mountains. Um, and you know sometimes the winter starts and it's very you know it's full of snow that it starts in um in at the end of October and in the mountains they they finish in May so obviously you need very hearty food you know where you need um food to to keep you alive you know to give you enough energy to go through these harsh winters so I see yeah so we go to mm-hmm. uh, we love obviously we love um slow cook stews and we cook with lard you know uh because we rear our own pigs and we slaughter the pig in december which is uh, quite a tradition back home so we have this um homemade lard that we use instead of butter or instead of oil um we love uh you know our butter bean stew with the uh, ham hock and uh we love pork scratchings as well that we make at home and we Eat all these with fermented green tomatoes and fermented sour um, sauerkraut uh, cabbage uh, that we also make at home. So because we have this tradition of um, pickling and fermenting ingredients, um, we also love to obviously cook with potatoes and, as I said, dumplings and noodles. So um, it's it's very much this type of um, a stew, you know, a, a slow cooked casserole. That's something that is really comforting uh, and we eat a lot of polenta with it um, in many ways not just the creamy polenta that um, people are used to see but also we make a um, polenta bread that we um, cut it the slices as we slice bread so uh, it's just more of a set polenta uh, we make polenta fritters with cheese in the middle so it's very um it's it's very um, uh, satisfying food, you know, when especially mm. when it's cold outside. And then 
after a few months, you have these <laughs> very hot summers. <laughs> and you go, wow, <laughs> what am I going to do? I can't be in the house. So, right. so obviously people um, take their kitchens outside. So we have outside uh-huh. kitchen, outdoors kitchens, you know, whether it's um, there are just under a, a roof or just in the garden or in the shade of a big tree or, you know, it's, we cook outside. So that means that the flavors are more like instant flavors. They are the flavors of grilling meat and uh, slicing vegetables to make a salad. So Right. And those wonderful spreads that you begin the book with. I wonder if you could talk a little bit about those because I, those are definitely bookmarked uh, for me for the next few months. Nah. Um, they just look wonderful. Yes, I mean, um, in the summer when the the first aubergines of the season are uh, on the market, you know, or or in the gardens, you know, we just um, uh, char grill them on the barbecue and then we peel the skin off and we just add oil and um, and onion. And this is the dip. I mean, it's nothing complicated. Of course, some people have different recipes. Uh, they add uh, mayo or they can add uh, a bit of uh, sour cream or, you know, they can um, add um, zucchini, depends, you know. So, mm-hmm. but this, uh, the salad, the aubergine salad, the aubergine dip, it's, uh, it's a staple dish uh, and we call it salata de vinete and it's uh-huh. so good and we always eat it with tomatoes and always eat it with um with the the charred um, pepper salad, which is served with um, a garlic vinaigrette, um, which again is called mujdei, and mujdei is something that everybody makes, and in a way everybody loves because we eat it in so many dishes. And this is a, a garlic vinaigrette. Um, oh, fantastic! Yes, and it's uh, the garlic. We eat a lot of garlic. I think uh, this is. Um, something the staple ingredient in our cuisine and it's very healthy and what about spices you've mentioned uh, the paprika from the Habsburg empire like like hungry what other spices are key in your pantry well i think uh paprika is quite uh quite one of um one one of the most important one uh, we put it in almost everything i mean mm. uh we make uh, and there is a recipe in the book about uh, a leg of mutton because we eat a lot of mutton as well, uh, and uh, we call pastrama, and the pastrama is something that you cure over a few months. Well, in my in my book, I just put a recipe when you just make a marinade. But the key mm-hmm. is the paprika, and also we put paprika in sausages and in a lot of charcuterie. But we put it in in stews uh, and um, whether um, vegetable stews or with meat. So. Um, this is quite a, an important uh, spice, but also we like herbs quite a lot. So, mm. and winter and the summer savory uh, is one of the herbs we have, uh, which is kind of between rosemary and thyme. You know, it's a bit one of those, but actually it's not quite rosemary and it's not quite thyme either. So it's winter or summer savory, depending on the season. Um, and uh, we like um, we like those. And we like uh, also a lot of, dill and parsley and i mentioned it before lovage so lovage is one of our favorite dishes um sorry um herbs 
And that just grows like a weed, doesn't it? I mean, I have some in my garden that gets up to like three feet tall in the summertime. Yeah. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful kind of crispy, like almost like a celery. Um, But it's it's completely of itself, I think. Yes, yes. And it's, it's very, very good. And uh, obviously, it's not pretentious. So you can just have it and leave it there in the garden and then just come back year after year. And it's, it's, it's very nice. Uh, and we use um, we use quite a lot of it and tarragon as well because oh. they, are, they are a bit you know kind of uh, same flavors um, so tarragon as well is, is very nice so that's why I used it in my mackerel smoked mackerel salad um, and that's another very popular salad in, in Romania so I added more tarragon than usual and I made the mayo as well Oh, I love tarragon. I think I think it's one of the most underappreciated um, herbs in the United States because I think people don't know what to do with it. But it just adds like this just burst of of lovely flavor um, that complements so many things like fish. Yeah, um, that's yes. fantastic. And also, I use it in a, in a, in in one recipe um, with an apricot cake. If you put a bit of tarragon on top, you will oh, be surprised. Delicious. Yes. Yeah. That sounds fantastic. Now, also the, another big part of your book deals with something called, and I hope I pronounced this correctly, borsch. Yes. Borsch. And for I think for our listeners, this is maybe not something um, they're accustomed to, but walk us through what borsch is and how you use it. Yes. So borsch, first of all, is an ingredient for us. So I know many mm-hmm. people, when they hear borsch, they, they think of the Russian beetroot soup. Okay. Uh, so it probably comes from there, but um, our borscht is first of all, as I said, an ingredient. And you prepare it by fermenting uh, wheat bran with cornmeal, and you put some uh, lavage in there, or you put dill, or you put every anything you like to, in terms of aromatics, to put it in there to give it more flavor. Or some people just keep it very very simple, and they make a borscht only from uh, wheat bran. So um, you put um, all these ingredients in a big jar and you put water on top and then you wait to ferment. So depending on uh, where you are in the, in the world, this can happen in a few days or it can happen in two weeks, like it happens here, here in the UK. <laughs> um, but it has, at the end, um, it just separates, obviously. It separates. Everything goes um, in terms of the wheat bran and the... Um, cornmeal it's um at the bottom of the jar and the liquid is on top and you can see this beautiful greenish yellowish um very clear um liquid and when you taste it it has a very pleasant quite sweet um taste but also tangy but not tangy as a lemon so don't expect that more tangy as a more like a tomato type of tanginess Mm. so quite Mm -hmm. mild um, and obviously, if you want to keep it for longer, it will get it will ferment even more. But I think it will be too strong. Uh, mm-hmm. But it's definitely it's a it's a flexible recipe, like with everything. You know, you just need to experiment a bit and and taste and see what you like and how you like it. So we take this, we we strain this, we put this liquid, um, you know, and we use the liquid first of all to create. Uh, what we call uh, in Romania a borscht. And this borscht is actually uh, a clear broth. So it can be meat or it can be um, vegetable broth. And then towards the end of a cooking, we add, let's say, 200 mils or 500 mils of this borscht, the, the ingredient, 
the ferment, fermented liquid, just to add more tanginess. But also it's a very healthy way to, to eat meaty dishes. Uh, you know, nowadays people talk about how good um, fermented food is for you. So that's why we, mm-hmm. so many people started to do kimchi at home or kombucha or on this, these kind of things. And obviously miso. So they are all part, including borscht, they are all part of the same family of fermented foods. Uh, so this is a very traditional way to to eat um, meat broth and vegetable broth. So when we say borscht at home, we actually need to say beef borscht or lettuce mm-hmm. borscht or, um, I don't know, chicken borscht. Or because, and that means that it is sour. So um, if you use borscht, then it has to be called a borscht if you use the ingredient. But if you don't use borscht because you can sour this broth with something else like vinegar if you don't want mm-hmm. to go through the whole like two weeks of waiting you make you add vinegar or you add tomatoes because they are tangy as well or mm-hmm. you add lemon if you like uh, so if if you don't use necessarily the borscht itself and you use other souring ingredient um you call it chorba and you know mm. again that if you say chorba then it is a sour soup um or broth actually it is a mm-hmm. sour broth but it's not with borscht. It has something else in it, uh, another yes. souring ingredient. So um, this is how we use borscht, first of all. But very often, and how I do it even here in, in the UK, um, even if I don't make anything with borscht, uh, like a soup, I, I drink it in the morning. I have a glass mm. of it. Uh, and it's very pleasant. Um, and especially in the summer, we have it, it's a little bit salty and a little bit tangy, and it's perfect for hot days. Uh, mm. So I drink that. Uh, but some people, for instance, they use the fermented uh, leftover wheat bran and um, cornmeal, and they make like a face mask because it's very oh, good wow. for the skin. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Or if you have a very dry hair, then you make a hair mask. It is just very, wow. very good because we use everything from it. Um, and yes, it's That's such a, the skin is so glowing at the, after that. It's, it's beautiful. <laughs> if I can Who wear knew? it all the time. Who knew? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there, there. See, this is a perfect. This is this book is perfect for the coronavirus self isolation because you you don't need much and you can you can take care of all your beauty problems as well as learning a new cuisine. So it's perfect. And <laughs> until um, you know, one of the big ingredients that comes through in your book sh- sort of shines through is actually your family. Um, you have. It seems like everyone in your family is obsessed with food and um, does something about food. You have an uncle who actually raises pigs um, and you have grandparents who, who've bequeathed you these amazing dishes. And tell us a little bit about your, your family. Obviously your mother was a huge influence on this book, but how else um, did, did your family sort of come together to, to celebrate food? Well, yes. Um, we all had to, to contribute to actually have mm. some food on the table, uh, especially mm. when I grew up. Um, and I know I mentioned it before, but uh, I'll come back to it very briefly. I, I grew up during communist times. And in those times, uh, we just didn't have ingredients to buy. I, um, mm-hmm. Very often, and especially towards the end of the regime, um, the food was rationed. 
So we only had, let's say, one kilo of flour per family of four or two kilos of um two liters of, of oil and I don't know, one packet of butter. So um so we had to um come up with different ways to have food on the table. So when we had um when the summers were really good and you know late autumns we really had to spend time together to preserve the food we had in uh, at the market at that point so making all the all the jams and the compotes because these um were food for later on in the winter and mm-hmm. spring because in spring it's still kind of um you don't have enough on the market to in terms of ingredients seasonal ingredients so you still have to to eat from your you know, winter jam and the compote and everything and the preserves and the dips and everything and putting aubergines in jars, you know, to have later to make a, a an aubergine stew or something. So we all had to contribute. We all had to help mom to go to the market and, you know, carry home, you know, the ingredients. And it's quite a process when you pickle and when mm-hmm. you make jams, you know, to sterilize the jars to, you know, it's... and. We all had to to work together, you know, dad and my sister and I. And so because also at the same time, my dad and my mom, they had their own jobs. So it wasn't mm. just that they were at home and preserving and pickling all these kind of things that we had. <laughs> they they went, went to work and also they worked uh, on Saturdays because of that. Those times we uh, they had a um, five week uh, working I don't know, five day uh-huh. working week. Sorry, so uh, okay. they worked on a Saturday as well. So it was oh, wow. quite quite hard, you know. So food was always uh, um, something that we had in, to um, in our minds, you know. So uh, for instance, especially when I was coming back from from school, sometimes um, I was queuing to get to buy meat or butter, whatever, you know, because it wasn't in the shops. Uh, It wasn't Uh just every now and then. So we really had to be quick. (laughs) Um, So, um, so yes, um, my uncle in Transylvania, he was, um, he was called Antone. So from Antoine, probably. Um, So Antone was quite a character. Um, uh, uh, Well, I think he actually looked after his farm animals better than after his children. Uh, yes <laughs> I mean <laughs> because they were important more important you know the farm <laughs> animals um and uh, in those times the farmers weren't really of farmers because they uh, everything was nationalized so we belonged to the state so he didn't really have loads of pigs or loads of cows or sheep he only had you know one cow or a few pigs um a few sheep and you know one horse because he wasn't allowed to have more than that and every year he uh, reared the pig for us. And that was really like a lifeline thrown to us because in the cities, you can't really grow your own. You know, you have a mm-hmm. little balcony. You probably can actually have some tomatoes on or herbs, but not necessarily chicken and pigs, you know. So um, he used to rear this pig for us. And every December we used to go there and, be part of this um, tradition to slaughter the pig. And in two days, everything was prepared from nose to tail. Everything from that pig was turned into sausages or salamis or leberwurst or uh, some sort of a black pudding that we make at home as well and um, lardo and, you know, the the cured uh, pork fat and lard as well. Uh, So... 
and uh, we used to take home almost everything you know just leave a little bit to to him to cure for uh, for other months and then he was sending them by post but we took the all the sausages back home you know to to the apartment and it was a, uh-huh. like a little apartment in in Bucharest where we lived uh, probably 40 square meters like tiny oh, wow. the yeah. kitchen was tiny i mean you couldn't be like two people in there it was too much already you know so so anyway so yes it was um, my uncle was very important to us <laughs> <laughs> as you can imagine <laughs> um but you know also my grandmother's um one of them um um the one that is from the south um my dad's mom, um, she loved shortcuts. You know, she she loved very frugal dishes. You know, she she liked, for instance, the fruit stew thickened with polenta uh-huh. that we usually made when the fruit was in season. So that was a sort of a soup and dessert at the same time. So one meal in in two kind of thing. So Perfect. Yeah. yes, that's why she was really quick and she loved the, to make flatbreads and, um, you know, she was just serving them with uh, yogurt or fruit again, you know, just to make, uh, to give us something to eat when she had us around. Um, Uh But also she had that kind of, she used to give us um, um, a very thin polenta when we didn't feel very well. Um, Uh It's very thin, very hot, like a drink, but she put butter on top to make it a bit fatty. So we actually uh-huh. drank that and then went to bed and we were fine after that, you know. Uh-huh. So she had okay. this kind of tricks. But later on, when we were, you know, old enough to be able to drink alcohol, she used to kind of make a sort of a mild brandy with uh, pepper in it, you know. So, um, or a very strong coffee with rum in it and give that to us. So that was very uh-huh. good. She was really popular. <laughs> we loved her for that, for those drinks. Um, but then the other grandmother, my mom's um, mom, she was from Transylvania. My mom was from Transylvania. So um, my grandmother had a different approach to food and to cooking. The, the food she cooked needed time. So, mm. you know, she used to cook in layers and, you know, to slow cook stuff. She used to make for us um, our own ricotta-style cheese that we called Brinza de Vach. So that was a ricotta style cow's um, milk cheese. And she used to make it at home for us. So she makes sure that we had the freshest cheese and not the one that um, was available in the shops. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we used to make beautiful confitures with her. And so, you know, she, she had another influence with us. She made her own she made her own uh, noodles because I used to love noodles with sugar. So, uh-huh. yeah, so she made her own noodles and um, like strudel dough as well. She used to stretch the, uh, that dough on the, on the table in the living room because it was massive. You know, it was very, <laughs> it looks a, a lot of, of um, it's very thin dough, but very large. So, uh-huh. um so yes, but also as I said, my dad was also involved in cooking. He was looking always after after the pickles and after the sauerkraut cabbage. Uh, he also was the one who used to make plum brandy and the sour cherry liqueur. So it's not only uh, a woman; it wasn't only a, a woman's task to be in the kitchen or to prepare food. You know, men had their own things to do in this in this picture. All so, hands on deck. 
Yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> how how did that change after um, sort of the end of, of the communist period? Was there was there an era that I, I lived in Russia just as things were um, ending, and suddenly everyone wanted sushi or uh, Italian food, and it was very strange um, because that, you know nobody wanted to to cook borscht or cabbage soup or anything. Um, everybody wanted wanted different kinds of exotic food. But then that kind of that pendulum swung back. And I wonder if it's the same in Romania. Yes. Yes, I think I think it is. I think that um obviously after after the communist times we just had um a lot of ingredients on the market and a lot of things to buy. We just didn't have the money. <laughs> so right. the other way around. Um but yes, we started to have, you know, the um, Chinese and Indian restaurants and then Lebanese as well, because that's very much how we eat anyway, in uh, mm-hmm. the Greek restaurants. And then um, obviously the Italians, and now we have Swedish restaurants as well. So uh, it's, a, it's a very diverse um, um, market, you know, at the, at the moment. But we Romanians, we love um, very much our traditional food. So you will find a lot of traditional restaurants in Romania. Uh-huh. And it's not just for tourists, it's for Romanians. We go and uh-huh. eat the traditional food and it's, it's served in the traditional way. So nobody uh, thinks of um, deconstructing a, a cabbage roll, for instance, because... There is no point in that. We like it the way it is, you know, and it's a very down-to-earth approach to our traditional food. And in a way, it's a very good thing because um, it's, it's, it, it means that it preserves our traditions instead of trying to change something that actually is delicious as it is, you know. Right. Um, but there is also, you know, this trend of uh, fast food, of course, like in every country, uh, mm-hmm. crisps and uh, ready meals and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I'm happy to see that the traditional restaurants are still there. And it means that we still love our traditions quite a lot. Uh, so that that is a good thing. And it sounds as though there's always been an interest or a, a focus on sort of locavore organic just by by necessity that perhaps now is becoming the preferred way to source food yes yes that that yeah. is true yes uh but also you see when you go to supermarkets you know i went um when i go home i go to the market and i go to supermarkets to just see what's going on so sadly i can see the same flavorless tomatoes in the shops you yeah. know like in in the uk but then i go to the market and i found those tomatoes that i used to eat when i was when i was little and now they are called romanian tomatoes and that means there are <laughs> local tomatoes which is really right. good <laughs> I, I i i am such a tomato snob i i will i just don't even think about eating them from say september well october through may there's just no point Um, I don't even I don't even consider them. Um, And I the biggest thing I miss about living in Russia is is the tomatoes, actually. Yes, they have a different Um, flavor and they are very different. flavor. They are like sweet, like melons are just so nice. Indeed. Yes. So I miss those two. And even if I try to grow them here and I have a little greenhouse as well. So even in the greenhouse in the UK, just the flavor is not there. I don't know why they don't get probably enough light or enough heat. I don't I don't know. 
And tell me, is um, in the UK, I mean, there's so many uh, different nationalities living in the UK. Has uh, Is there an interest in Romanian cuisine in the way that uh, I know there's the, the Polish cuisine has really taken root, as has Russian? How about Romanian cuisine? It's starting now, and I'm glad to see, yeah. you know, um, I have to say that finding someone to publish some uh, Romanian cookery book was a challenge because in the uh-huh. UK, especially, we're not known. <clears throat> for our cuisine. Um, uh-huh. So it, it was a challenge. However, looking at the food media, they, they've just welcomed it so, um, um, you know, wholeheartedly. It's just um, a pleasure to see how intrigued they are and they want to find out more. So I think this will contribute to a rising popularity of, of Romanian cuisine and also, hopefully, it will inspire more Romanians who live abroad to actually start cooking Romanian and talk about Romanian cuisine to their friends. You know, even if they don't buy the book, it's not about that. It is about being proud of our traditions and our of our own cuisine. And if we actually look back uh, at our traditional cuisine, it's very much um, uses the ingredients of uh, how we eat today in terms of look at gluten free. I mean, polenta, cornmeal mm. is. Look at right. our butter bean hummus that it's also in the book. You know, we use less oil than in a chickpea hummus, and we mm-hmm. don't use tajin oil. Um, but we use less oil because we emulsify it with the butter bean water. So and and that creates a really smooth dip. But that's really healthy as well. So absolutely, yeah. So um, I I like this kind of thing to actually look back at what is traditional because I think that our ancestors and our grandparents, you know, the way they cooked and the way they ate, they knew better than we know now. Mm-hmm. So we, we should have some information from there. And I and one of the wonderful things about the book comes at the end when you list, uh, we sort of take us through some of the traditions and seasonality and, and even superstitions uh, that are part of, of the culture and it, like that part of the cuisine. I wonder if you can just touch on a few of those as, as we finish up. Yes, we are. We have a lot of superstitions. I mean, I can write a book about it. Actually, there you go. No, no, no. It's, um, <laughs> yes, we very. Everything is very related. It comes back to nature all the time. Uh, you know, and we are part of this of this nature. Uh, and you even let's take for instance um, our polenta. You know, the polenta cornbread. The what we call mamaliga. Sometimes when you bake it or when you cook it, it cracks. So uh, you will, you know, if you see that, if you see the crack on top, you will, you will make a long journey. This is what it means. So mm. it's it's very interesting how we. It's very playful when when you look at food like that. Um, or also related to polenta, you know, we put a. So let's say you turn it onto the table, the polenta bread, and then you have that um, um, the pan where you cooked it. You put a bit of water in it and then you drink it. And that means that you you will mend a broken heart, you know. Ah. So, yeah, it's still very it's still very funny. So, um, you know, garlic, for instance, is is very much part of uh, of superstitions. Um, on um, St. Andrew's uh, Day, well, on the night before St. Andrew's Day, um, we eat a lot of garlic just to be protected. Because uh, otherwise, you know, uh-huh. the, the evil spirits would be around us, and also we. And when, when is Saint Andrew's Day? Um, it's you know, it's just the end of November. Okay. Yes, thirty uh, first, thirtieth. 
um, end of November. Uh-huh. Uh, so that's really kind of a, a zombie night. So you eat garlic. Ah, but okay. at the same time, uh, let's say uh, when we have our St. Valentine's Day, which is on the 24th of February, we uh, sometimes we uh, eat garlic or we eat a, a very salty garlic bread so we can dream during the night uh, who our um, um, husband would be because the husband ah. will bring us some water <laughs> in the dream. <laughs> That's marvelous. That's great. um, And again, in springtime, just to celebrate renewal and everything, uh, women in the countryside just uh, tend to put a bit of um, dough when they make bread to stick it on fruit trees so they can have a very good year. Mm. That's that's a very, very nice uh, thing to feed the nature somehow, you know, to look after uh, after the nature around you. That's that's really nice. And just to mention at the end, because I can't really just not, not mention it, we, because we love coffee and we drink a lot mm. of Turkish-style coffee. Uh, and we do a lot of fortune-telling. You know, after we drink mm. the coffee, we turn the cup and we kind of look at different shapes, you know, and it's really, really interesting. And my grandmother, the one from the South, my dad's mom, she used to be famous in the village for being a good fortune teller, just looking at the coffee of um, the coffee cup after you drank the coffee. So here well, we go. I'm sure she she could have predicted that her granddaughter would make a huge success uh, of this <laughs> book, which I I think is um, really poised to to give us a new understanding of this marvelous cuisine that um, I think the world doesn't know enough about. So thank you so much for sharing it with us. Yeah, thank you so much for reading it. <laughs> Absolutely. Tell us just before we finish, what what's next? What's coming up uh, next for you? Um, you'll be working on promoting the book in innovative ways that keep you at home. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. <laughs> well, the thing is, <laughs> I had I had quite a few events lined up, uh, but obviously it's not. They are not going to happen. Mm. But um, you know, people are in worse situations at the moment, so I'm not complaining. Mm. Um, it is, uh, I'm very active on social media. Uh, I have my own website, irinajorgescu.com, and uh, I put loads of recipes there. Um, I talk about Romanian traditions, and I also have a newsletter um, where I send every month uh, exclusive recipes only to mm-hmm. my subscribers, so they will not be put on the website. Uh, and this is for free, so they can just subscribe and then every month they will get a, 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 an email from me. So this is a way to actually create more awareness about Romanian cuisine. You know, I talk about different things, about different traditions and give different recipes. I mean, the latest newsletter focused on Lent because we have a lot mm-hmm. of Lent days in, in Romania. Almost half a year is Lent. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously we have a lot of vegetarian dishes and um I wanted people to know about that. So this is how I do it at the moment. I obviously, um, you know, put a lot of so- on social media as well. I'm very active on Instagram, but you can find the link to Instagram on my website. Um, mm-hmm. And this is this is what I do at the moment. I promote the book. I There is a lot of uh, press coverage in the UK at the moment, like National Geographic and Olive Magazine and Delicious Magazine. They are all really... Um, they are featuring Romania, which is great. I feel very honored and humbled by the whole thing. And um, in terms of what's next, I don't know yet because, you know, <laughs> I, uh, there is a, 
There is a lot to tell about Romanian cuisine, especially because uh, it's not only Romanian, it's a bit German, it's a bit Greek, it's a bit Bulgarian, a bit Serbian, Macedonian. There are all, the entire Eastern Europe is in there. So, <laughs> <laughs> the entire, That's fantastic. Yeah, so there is a lot to say about it. So I don't think this will be the only book, but I'm not thinking of anything at the moment new. Yes. Well, Absolutely. Uh, this is a wonderful beginning um, to a discovery of Romanian cuisine. The book is um, Carpathia, um, and the wonderful author Irina Georgescu has joined us today on the New Books Network. I, I assume that Carpathia, Food from the Heart of Romania, is available where all great books are sold. Yes. Correct? Yes. Good. Yes, exactly. Good. I, I, I encourage our listeners to get a copy because it's a marvelous uh, book. It does what all good culinary books should do. It not only teaches you uh, how to make great food, but it takes you on a journey into the soul of a country. So, Irina, thank you so much for joining us today on the New Books Network. Thank you so much for asking me, for inviting me. Thank you. And I'll be back soon with another uh, interesting interview with an author uh, and his or her book. Thanks for joining us today. 